0: So our reading today is taken from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, and can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1051. So Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones Who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I am um,
1: uh, in error. I thought I'd managed to do the notices and remember everything, but we promised we would hear from Caroline and Charles about um, OASIS and the, the work with uh, Ukrainian refugees. So please, can you come and tell us, Caroline, what you wanted to say? Because you will do a better job of it, certainly, than, than I will. reminded of this In the Prayers by David praying. So
2: So I feel a bit of a fraud because I can give you a bit of an update, but it's really more of an appeal.
1: Uh,
2: Appeal away, appeal. Um, So just to let you know that out of the 107 refugees that came um, beginning 18 months ago, about 70 of them are now living independently, which is absolutely amazing. All those who want to work are working and uh, they're doing the most amazing things. We've got um, people who ran whole education departments, cleaning in Cara Cafe and uh, other people working in the garden centre who've got um, degrees and used to run businesses, doctors who are doing childcare. They will do the, you know anything that comes along and all the time... They're learning English and uh, last night we were at a birthday party of our ex-guest and around the table were all these people and we were able to talk in English for most of the evening which is quite remarkable and these are people who didn't have a word of English before they came. So I think there's so much to give thanks for Um, and so much, it's brought the community together in, in extraordinary ways. But what I really wanted to ask this morning is we have one lady um, who was director of education in Mariupol but has very, very little English. So she's come here, her daughter's here, her grandson is here and she's been living very happily in Great Shelford um, for the past year or more. But her hosts are keen that she should move on. She's actually living in a self-contained space, and I suspect that they um, want to use it differently. Um, They've given her plenty of warnings, so she doesn't need to be moving on until November. The biggest problem is that she has a cat, a cat to whom she is enormously attached, and it's a package. It's her and the cat. Now, I'm not sure that there's anybody here who's in a position to take anybody, but you all have networks, and I just thought it was worth putting out there. She's incredibly tidy, motivated, she's working, she's well integrated. Um, as she would be a delight to host, um, and very little trouble. But she is feeling quite pressured that she knows she has to move on. So it would be great if you could pray about this, Um, and maybe think about people who might be able to host her. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Caroline. I'm glad that um, you expressed it very well about the networks as well, that spread the word about that situation of need, and, and do please be praying about it. Let us turn back to Luke chapter 18, if you would, um, page one in the Church Bibles or 105.2 over the page, and let's uh, just c- commit our, our time to God as we open these words together. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would graciously speak to us this morning and then uh, in our hearts give us prayers to pray for situations of need in our own lives and in other people's lives. We pray not least for this dear friend of uh, Caroline's that uh, she's mentioned to us now, that you would graciously provide for her. Um, But meet with us as we turn to the words of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he spoke these words so long ago and that they speak to us today uh, by his spirit. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen. I am glad that, um, given that we all find it hard to pray, I assume—I don't imagine anybody finds it easy to pray. I'm glad that we can turn to Jesus' teaching and the parables about prayer for the next uh, for today and then next week. And I'm also glad, given that we've got a prayer meeting this coming Wednesday, just to to motivate us to look for some motivation in our prayer lives in our prayer meetings if you're able to join us on Wednesday. According to Jesus in Luke 18 verse 1, this is precisely why he told this parable. He told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up to motivate us in prayer. He knows that unless we've got good reasons to pray, we will struggle to keep at it. Um, And I want to highlight uh, three reasons to pray from this parable on the assumption that we find it hard we 'll be too busy, too busy, too tired, too lazy, and we need motivation to pray. here 's the first reason. The first reason why we should pray and not give up uh, this year and beyond is simply this: our condition, our condition in a fallen world, and that surely emerges from the mention of a widow. She would have been a picture of weakness for Jesus' listeners, a a pitiful condition which they wouldn't wish on anyone. It was quite common for girls to marry when they were 13 or 14 years old in Jesus' day, probably marrying someone a fair bit older. And so it was a distinct possibility that such a woman could be widowed quite young before the children were grown up and able to support her. So quite apart from the emotional strain, there'd be an obvious financial strain as well. There'd be a loss of social status too because, rightly or wrongly, to have a husband brought an honor to a woman that she never had while single. And, of course, she loses all the protection she once had. She's a sitting target for ruthless exploitation. Any debts owed to her family could easily be forgotten. Any family inheritance due to her late husband could quietly be hogged by other relatives. That's why there were so many laws in the Old Testament designed to protect widows. In fact, they were on a par in God's sight with orphans. Such a weak and vulnerable condition he considered it to be. And sure enough, the widow in our parable is on the end of some such exploitation. What's the request she brings to the judge? It's there at the end of verse 3. Grant me justice against my adversary." So she's not just weak, she has an enemy. To make her condition worse, the very system that God had set in place to protect her seems in league with her enemy. The judge does nothing. She has no money to persuade him to act, and he has no morality to persuade him to act. In her condition, she's only got one weapon, it seems, persistence. So it says in verse 3, she kept coming to him with her plea. So you can reconstruct the scene. It's seven o'clock in the evening, the end of a busy day. Our judge buzzes through to his secretary. Nothing else for today is there, he asks. Oh, yes, there's a woman in the waiting room, says it's urgent. Oh, no, I can't see her, he says. Give her some line about a civic dinner or something. Back home later in the evening, at last he can put his feet up and watch the play for the day on the telly. And the story's just unravelling. It's the climax. And the phone goes. Can you get it, dear, he shouts. His wife's head pokes around the door. It's for you, dear, she says. Important, I think. He goes to the phone. And it's her again. Please don't call me at home, he says. And he hangs up. And this sort of thing, we're led to believe, goes on for months. Until one day in court, some official hands him a note... And he looks down, half expecting by now to see the name, and he's right. Yes, it's her. Oh, well, he says, to get it over with, I'll take the case, I'll do it. Now, why does the widow carry on like that? Well, it's because of her pitiful condition. And you could think of parallel examples of the suffragettes last century, the civil rights movement in the United States, those sorts of cases. People didn't give up. They went on and on and on with the protests. And says Jesus, if you behave like that with each other, why don't you do the same with God? That's the implication of what he's saying. Why do we give up praying? Well, is it because we think our condition is somehow less desperate than this widow's was? And if we think like that, we need to think again. For a start, we have an adversary, the devil. The Bible says that he is out to shipwreck us. And if we aren't praying, he's already well on the way to doing that. Add to that, the world we live in is never going to encourage us to, God's, to go God's way. It's always going to be stacked up against us. Add to that, we're simply not as strong as we think we are. I know we like to think we're all omnicompetent. And Christ has to say to us, stop flexing your spiritual muscles as if you're spiritually strong, when you're weak. No, we need to cry out to God day and night. That's the language of this parable, isn't it? It's emergency praying, which takes our weak condition, spiritually and otherwise, seriously. So that's the first motivation, our condition. Paralleled by the widows in the story Jesus told. On to the second reason why we should pray and not give up, and it's this God's character. Jesus knows that unless we have clear views about what God is like, we won't pray as we ought. So he longs for us to know God more deeply. And he uses the unjust judge as a contrast with God's character to bring out God's character more clearly. So somebody's probably sitting there scratching their heads thinking, well, surely God is the exact opposite of this judge. He was a complete scoundrel in the story. And that's right, because in verse 2, Jesus introduces him as a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So when he sat on his judge's bench, he never imagined that the shadow of Almighty God was there at his side. So he'd better weigh his decisions carefully and fairly. There was no fear of God. And when the widow presented her case, there was none of the milk of human kindness either. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care for people. To cap it all, the judge in Jesus' story knows he's like this. In fact, he seems to pride himself on it. Look what he says as he's, well, I'm imagining him soaking under the shower, planning his day in verse 4. Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, just to stop her nagging, I'll take the case. It's stronger in our version of this, isn't it? Verse 5. I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I can't imagine he really thought that was a possibility. But anyway, there we go. But he's being very daring, the way he phrases it, in Jesus. He paints his judge as black as he can. He is an awful judge. And when he does act, it's not because he feels he's got to be true to God or because he cares. It's simply to get her out of the way. Now then, says Jesus, if even an unjust, wicked person can be moved by persistent requests, don't you think God will be? Verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? Answer, no. The relationship between the judge and the widow was a matter of law. It was a purely human relationship. And those things ought to have guaranteed an answer to her request. But even when they didn't, just by asking, she got it. Well, God's relationship with his people isn't just a matter of law. It's not a purely human relationship, they are his chosen ones. They're loved from before the creation of the world with an everlasting love. You could say God's never been able to get them out of his mind. He's always had them on his mind and heart. From our vantage point, we can add that as Jesus speaks, he speaks to someone who's shortly to die on the cross for these chosen ones. So Jesus would say to us, if God has arranged that for his elect, do you think he's going to leave them high and dry? Of course not. He's totally committed to our welfare. He won't keep putting us off. Now, it may seem that we have to wait a long time, but the one conclusion we mustn't allow is that God is cold, distant, wrapped up in his own concerns, uninvolved in the world, powerless to take action on behalf of his people. His character is totally different from that. I came across a take-off of the Radio 4 morning service type of prayer. Forgive me if you greatly love the Radio 4 morning services and things like that, but sometimes there's a sort of type of prayer that uh, surfaces in those that really grasps God's character fairly, well, tenuously, I would say. This is a sort of a, Radio 4 morning service type of prayer, at its worst. O ground of our being, the prayer began, we are bearing in mind the possibility of thy existence and are anxious not to upset thee. We are particularly anxious that thou will not upset us either, assuming, that is, thou hast any interest or influence in the matter. If thou hast... Please be sure to use it to the advantage of us, our friends and relations. As art are probably aware, these prayers take time, and time is money. Financial assistance is therefore especially welcome. But in thy keenness to help, it is not our intention that thou shouldst neglect world peace, the royal family, the sick and the suffering, and those other causes in which thou art thought to take an interest. Okay. Maybe you haven't encountered praying like that, but I I occasionally hear that sort of vague, well, will God really step into act attitude in our prayers. That's obviously ridiculous, I know. But many of our problems in prayer are because we slip into thinking that God hasn't the interest or the influence to act. And we lose our convictions about God's character. So that extra beatitude Not a genuine one applies. Blessed is the person who expects nothing, for they shall certainly never be disappointed. We lose confidence that God's character is committing him to act in answer to prayer. If we stop praying, we're calling into question God's character. We actually make God out to be more unjust and more unfeeling than the judge in the story. No, implies Jesus, God's character is utterly different, and it means that we should be confident to pray. One further reason, I don't know if you spotted it, to pray that is mentioned in this parable our condition, God's character, and thirdly, Christ's coming. That's the third reason that we should always pray and not give up. Look down to verse 8, the last little bit. I tell you, says Jesus. I give you my solemn word. That's the way he bolsters what he's saying often in his teaching. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This tackles in a sort of side-on way that question we often have about how come my prayers haven't been answered. It's worth our knowing that some of our prayers will only be fully answered when Christ returns. Now, that doesn't say all that there is to say about answered, unanswered prayer, but it takes us some way to the solution. Often God will say yes to our prayers, and obviously that's a, a great encouragement to go on praying. Sometimes God says no to our prayers which is a great relief if you think about it, because if we all always got what we asked for, ponder this. Imagine the pressure on us to choose rightly. You'd probably be too scared to pray at all, wouldn't you? Frequently, God's answer is not yes or no, but wait. And it may be that we have to wait until Christ's coming the day he returns as king for the cause of his people to be champion for the righting of all wrongs. But just think what a glorious answer to prayer Christ's coming is. And we pray for the misery that's been unleashed by this invasion of Iraq to be sorted out. Well, God has committed to a day when all warfare, all hatred, will be eradicated. We pray about other places in the world where there are callous, heartless governments and a sort of tit-for-tat situation, a response of terrorism is provoked by them. Christ is going to stop all the endless tit-for-tat and replace it with the perfection of his just and gentle rule. We pray about our own sin or our sickness and The Bible says that in the twinkling of an eye, those are going to be forgotten at Christ's coming. The delay, the waiting, that's painful now, but don't think for a moment it's going to stay that way. With God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. He will act quickly in that sense, decisively, at just the right moment and not a nanosecond later. I don't know how many people here would remember um, the oldest member of the All Saints Congregation to have been confirmed in my time as rector in the last 18 years. Uh, It was a lovely lady called Gwen Rowlandson, who was in her 90s when she was confirmed. Valvarti lived just opposite her, not far away from her, didn't she? She was a a fearsome headmistress in her time. She's pretty fearsome as a retired headmistress. I remember her, in her confirmation service, insisting that the bishop spoke up because she couldn't hear him. If a a Martian were to have landed at her school playground at 11 o'clock in the morning during break and the Martian didn't know any better, I think he would have thought, this Martian, that the planet he'd arrived at was in a state of complete anarchy, probably. You know what break time used to be like in the old days? Five minutes out out there and there's mud and grime over all the uniforms. There's a a sort of kids' version of gang warfare going on. Somebody's managed to smuggle a can of Coke in and it's been shaking around in a backpack all day and that's about to be released over somebody else's head. Kids are running through the legs of other kids playing football. Others are playing catch with a crisp bag filled with water. It looks like anarchy, doesn't it, break time? Things have changed since the, the time when when Rawlinson was head, head teacher. But just when our Martian is thinking, uh, I ought to zap a lot of them or something, a lady steps out of the building and blows a whistle. And in seconds, the anarchy has transformed itself into seven neat lines of children walking meekly off to their lessons. What would the Martian conclude in that situation? Well, they'd have to think, wouldn't they, that all along behind the scenes, Gwen Rylanson was in control, and she only had to step onto the scene for the chaos to end. And it's some sort of claim like that is being made here. Jesus is saying, I am in control. The Son of Man will prove it beyond all doubt at his coming. And those who keep praying will find that when he steps in. It's going to be a great day for them. So the challenge for us is, as we listen in on this parable, do we believe that? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith in you and me? Will he find persistent, believing prayer in us? Let's pray together. We thank you for that glorious answer to prayer that will be when Jesus Christ returns. We thank you that He has loved us from before the beginning of the world. He set His love on us uh, in eternity, and then in time He came into the world to die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that here and now He hears us as we cry out to Him, day or night day and night Uh, we thank you that he's never far away from us and that one day he'll return to put an end to all the things that spoil this world we pray that in the meantime you'd keep us prayerful and persistent and trusting your wonderful character Uh, we thank you for the encouragement to pray even this morning We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.